Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you want to be sure to never miss an episode of the podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast listening software. Well, today is our first listener support slash appreciation special. And over the course of the next three weeks, we'll be uh, talking about and encouraging folks to sign up to become one of our Patreon supporters. Though, we're going to start talking about that tomorrow. Today, we're going to present one of three different types of specials we'll be playing during this particular campaign. Now, in the course of choosing specials, particularly when we're talking adaptations of a movie or story, I tend to choose the one that I like the best. That doesn't mean that other versions might not have merit, though we're going to play another adaptation of a special that I've done previously. And this one uh, goes all the way back to the beginning and our pilot episode. For that episode, we did the Screen Director's Playhouse adaptation of Call Northside 777 starring Jimmy Stewart in his film role. And we also played it as our 1000th episode special. So we're going to do another version of that. And the big difference is that it doesn't star Jimmy Stewart. It stars Dana Andrews, who of course starred in last week's uh, presentation of Laura. Uh, It's kind of funny. I remember my very first time starting to listen to it. I was listening to an online old-time radio station. This program came on, and they announced that Jimmy Stewart wasn't starring, and I just closed the online radio station with no interest whatsoever in hearing anyone other than Jimmy Stewart. I think my tastes have matured a little bit since then, so we'll give Mr. Andrews a chance. This program is an episode of Hollywood Soundstage, and to many listeners, it will sound like an episode of Screen Guild Theater. And with good reason. This was part of the very confusing 1951-52 Screen Guild Theater season. A program named Screen Guild Theater aired uh, from 1939 to 51, in its last season going to one-hour stories, and then it was replaced by Hollywood Soundstage. And then in December, it launched a second series, Stars in the Air. And then in the middle of the 1951-52 season, Hollywood Soundstage renamed itself as Screen Guild Theater. So now that that's clear to everyone, let's get into today's episode of whatever this is. The original air date, December the 27th of 1951, and here is Call Northside 777. This is Dana Andrews. This is Thomas Gomez. And this is Hugh Douglas saying welcome to Hollywood Soundstage. (laughs) 
Good evening and welcome again to another exciting 30 minutes made possible through the generous cooperation of the entire motion picture industry. Our story tonight is a stirring human document, a story based on fact, the thrilling and deeply moving record of one man's fight for another man's life. Hollywood Soundstage is proud to bring you transcribed 20th Century Fox Studios' great dramatic hit called Northside 777, starring Dana Andrews, Thomas Gomez, and the Screen Guild players. First of all, let's get one thing straight. I didn't just dream this story up. It's right off the record. It really happened. And if the people in it resemble characters living or dead, believe me, it's strictly intentional. On October 10th, 1944, I was a reporter on the Chicago Times. October 10th, 1944. The date is important. That was the morning the ad appeared. A little ad in our classified section. A personal notice that said... $5,000 reward for the killers of police officer Bundy on December the 9th, 1932. Call Northside 777-12 to 7 p.m. Ask for Tilly Vichek. I didn't notice the ad myself, but Brian Kelly did. Kelly was our city editor. There wasn't much in the paper he ever missed. And whenever Kelly got an idea, he usually had me do something about it. Call it curiosity, Mac. I want to know why it's worth $5,000 to somebody to find out who killed a cop 11 years ago. In 1932, it was open season on cops. On the north side, they were shooting them in pairs like a brace of ducks. Well, it won't hurt to check. Maybe you'll get your name in the papers. Kelly, this is sucker bait. Every grifter and mooch in town will be after that five grand. They'll frame their own brothers to get it, and then... Hey, maybe this is a frame. It's got a lot of angles. Yeah, see what I mean? It just takes you longer to catch on. Oh, well, I, I was just thinking about it. You using that phone? Now go right ahead. Thanks. Hello, Betty. Get me a number, will you? Yeah. I want North Side 777. Televicek wasn't home. They said she worked nights and they told me where. One of those big office buildings downtown. I found her up on the seventh floor in the empty corridor. On her hands and knees with a scrubbing brush and a bucket of water. I showed her the ad and then she got up quickly. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, that is from me. You know something, mister? No, I'm a reporter from the Chicago Times. Oh. We'd like to know why you're so interested in finding the killers of that cop. Frank Vichek, he's my son. He's in prison for killing him. My friends tell me if I offer big money, maybe somebody tell who killed this policeman. You mean your son is in prison for killing the cop? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, but he don't do it. My Frank is a good boy. He don't do this thing. This $5,000, where did you get it? That is important. Yes, it's very important. He might have had it hidden away, or maybe you got it from some mob that's trying to spring it. Oh, no. No, it's mine. I work. I scrub floors 11 years. I save every penny. I never miss a day's work, so I can get Frank out. 
I dream of this day. $5,000 is a lot for a dream. Yeah. Eleven years I dream and I work. First I tried $3,000. Nothing. Now I try $5,000. And suppose it's still nothing. Then I work 11 more years. I get $10,000. But my boy, someday he get out. It made a pretty good yarn, I guess. Mother slaves to save $5,000 offers it the clear sun. I told myself it was all in the day's work. I wrote it and then tried to forget it. I tried, but Kelly didn't. It's a swell story, Mac. It's got size. Thanks. Almost too good for a one-day run. Why not go up and interview the boy? Now, wait a minute. I'm not glorifying any cop killer. You got proof he's a cop killer? They didn't give him 99 years for playing hooky. He had a record. He was on probation when he shot the cop. Yeah, I know. I looked it up, too. He was public enemy number one. He and a couple of other kids broke into a grocery store. He got a few candy bars and a police record. Look, Mac, let's put it this way. Maybe I'm interested for personal reasons, because my mother did the same thing. She scrubbed floors on her hands and knees for more than 11 years to send me through school. Okay, I'll go up to the pen in the morning. How about expenses? Here's a voucher. Take it to the cashier. Right. Oh, uh, Kelly. Yeah? I happen to know your mother had a small annuity. She never scrubbed a floor in her life, and you never got out of the fifth grade. Well... But I figure if you pull such a corny gag, you want me to go pretty badly, so I'm going. Swell. Keep the expenses down, will you, Mac? I guess the warden told you, Frank. I'm from the Chicago Times. Yes, sir. He told me. Of course, you don't have to answer any questions if you don't want to. But I do want to. Sure I want to. Fine. You see, I'd like more of your story, your side of it. I need an angle, something to hit the public with, understand? Uh, yes, sir. Now, you knew about the ad your mother put in the papers, about the $5,000 reward? That's right. Did you know she was scrubbing floors to get that money? Yes, I did. Well, she lives for us to get me out. I guess that's all I got to live for, too. You know, if you're guilty, you're letting a slave her life away for nothing. She knows I'm not guilty. Well, I, I read all the news clips and the transcript of the trial. They don't exactly whitewash you. I know, I know, but you only read what convicted me. Well, the true facts didn't come out. Even Judge Moulton said I wasn't guilty. The judge who gave you 99 years? Yeah, he had to do that. Jury said we were guilty. But in his chambers, he said he knew we were innocent. When was that? Uh, after he sentences. Oh, after. Well, maybe we better duck that. What else? Oh. My lawyer was a drunk. Didn't even let me understand because he was afraid I'd go to the chair. Go on. Well, when they question you hour after hour, you're, you're bound to get mixed up on a lot of little things. Cops didn't even listen to me on the important things. They had to have a conviction, so they went ahead and got it. Yeah, that's a good angle. Railroaded. Uh, they took me from one police station to another every few hours. Taking you around the horn, they caught it. That was so my lawyer couldn't get me out. And then this, this friend is me. Cutnick, that's uh, the dame who ran the speakeasy? Yeah, that's right. The cop was in there having a drink when these two men walked in and shot him and then ran out again. And Findus Cutnick said you were one of the two? The first couple of times she saw me, she said I wasn't. And all of a sudden she said I was. Finger woman. 
We'll play that up, too. Look, I tell you, when that cop was killed, I was home with my wife. Well, that's right. That's what you said at the trial. Does she come up here to visit you? My wife? No. Not anymore. We're divorced. That's what kept sticking in my craw. If his wife didn't believe him, why should I? But I couldn't forget the old lady scrubbing the floors. And that's the way I wrote my story. Not guilty, says Vichek. Places, faith, and mother. And by the next night, Kelly was full of ideas. Nice work, Mac. We're getting up to 20 phone calls an hour on that story. What are you going to use for follow-up? Follow-up? Yeah, it's snowballing. They want more of it. You want to give me a raise, or do I just get the 5000 from Vichek's mother? Listen, guy, I just work here like you. I get my orders, too. From whom? The circulation department? Sure, we're selling lots of papers. We might also be selling this dead cop short. Maybe he had a mother who scrubbed floors, too. Ah, no use blowing your top. No, I'll tell you another thing. Remember what Vichek said about the judge promising him a new trial? Well, the judge died three weeks after the case was closed. Was that Vichek's fault? I'm just saying he's pretty sharp, giving me a lead he knew I couldn't check. Look, Mac, if you're so sure he's guilty and there's nothing more to the story, then end it. Write a finished piece and kill it. Okay, I'll take that deal. I'll interview his wife. His wife? She believed in him so much she got a divorce. Put that on your fat rotary press, Mr. Kelly. That ought to kill it for keeps. I told myself it was open and shut. Vichek's wife had divorced him. She'd married again. Wasn't any doubt about what she'd say. Not a doubt in the world. Until she started talking. Frank is innocent. He didn't do it. He was home with me when that policeman was killed. You wouldn't be saying that because you loved him. Then, I mean. Yes, I did love him. I loved him very much. So you got a divorce and married somebody else? Only because Frank insisted on it. He... Would you say that again? Frank made me do it. He made me get the divorce. And then he made me get married again. Why? So our boy would have a chance in life. So he'd grow up with another name. I guess the story I wrote that night was a little different from what I'd planned. But it had a nice lead. Divorced wife believes Vichek innocent. And the next day, Kelly was on my neck again. Mac, I know there's nothing more to the V-check case. I know it's all washed up, but I think... But that... what? Well, I just got a call from the warden. V-check wants to see you again. What for? Maybe he wants to confess. I was just up there. Don't I get time off for good behavior? V-check's been there for 11 years. Better take the first train up in the morning. <laughs> Five minutes, Mac. Thanks. Hello, Vichek. The warden said you wanted to see me. Yeah. Look, I want to tell you something. I don't want you to write any more about me or my family. No? No. Put our hearts out to you and all it meant to now, you... Now, wait a minute. You want help, don't you? We've got half a million people following this story. Someone might know the killer. Oh, who do you think you're kidding? My mother's doing this for me, not to sell your papers. All right. I thought I was doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I put my kid's picture in the paper, spoiling his whole life. I don't want that kind of help. I'd rather stay here a thousand years. Just don't write any more about us. That's all. 
That shook me up a little bit. Maybe more than I was willing to admit. Anyway, I had a talk with the warden, and then I went back to V-Check again. He didn't say a word. Just let me stand there. Finally, I made a start. I said, Look, Frank, suppose I went on with your case and did my best to slant the story your way. I want you to know I still don't think you're innocent, but I'm willing to dig and get the facts. The facts? But remember, the first time I catch you lying, I'll blast you so hard you won't even get your parole when your 99 years is up. Is that a deal? I got nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Yeah, I'll make that deal. Okay. Now, start talking. Was there any witness when Judge Moulton told you he'd get you another trial? Well, uh, there was the bailiff. What was his name? Well, I, I don't know. Well, I'll find that out. Who was your lawyer? His name was Underwood, but he's disbarred and I was a drunk. Yeah, that's great. A dead judge and a disbarred lawyer. What else? Well, uh, there was a friend of Scottnik. She was a woman who ran the speakeasy. She identified me. It was her alone. The other two witnesses, they said no. Keep going. Then there was a police captain. He stood right alongside a friend of Scudnick when she picked me up. She, she acted like, like she was afraid of him. What was his name? I don't know. I never found out. He wasn't at the trial. Great. Where can I find this Scudnick dame? I don't know. Well, that's nice material. Well, it's all I got. But it's the truth. I swear it. You willing to take a lie detector test? Mr. McNeil, for 11 years I've been waiting for a chance at that box. You know what you're up against. If it turns out bad, you're cooked. If it turns out good, it isn't legal evidence. It's all right. I'll take the test. Okay. I'll set it up for you. How about some of this sandwich, Mac? You go for ham and cheese on rye? Oh, thanks. Oh, you're lost. Say, seen the report on that lie detector test? Yeah. Well, I thought you had. Gives V-Check a pretty clean bill of health, doesn't it? Yeah. You sure you don't want some of this sandwich? No, thanks. Stomach's been a little jittery because it's something I ate. Sure. Or something you wrote? Now, look here, Kelly. If you think I'm... Slow down, Mac. Why don't you let go? Tell yourself the truth. You want him to be innocent. You want him to be free. Admit it. Maybe you're right. Maybe I want him to be, but that doesn't make me believe he's innocent. If you want to believe, that's a pretty good start. And remember, I'll be in there swinging with you all the way. Thanks. Oh, Kelly. Yeah? You uh, wouldn't have some of that sandwich left, would you? <laughs> Listening to the Hollywood Soundstage production of 20th Century Fox Studios' great dramatic hit called North Side 777, starring Dana Andrews and Thomas Gomez. Our stars will be back in just a moment, but meanwhile, here's something to think about. Out of every 100 wounded American servicemen who reach the most forward hospitals in Korea, 97 are being saved. Among the 97 that your blood can help bring back alive are the tall, skinny kid in the next block the husband of the woman you met in the grocers, or someone with the same mail address as yours. The armed forces are using up the last of their plasma reserves from World War II. 
They need ten times as much each month as we've been donating through the Red Cross. Knowing that the situation is serious, we know you're going to give blood. Call the Red Cross Blood Center right away and make a date to save a life. Now, back to our Hollywood soundstage production of Call Northside 777, starring Dana Andrews as McNeil and Thomas Gomez as Kelly, with Tony Barrett as Frank, Betty Lou Gerson as his mother, Frank Nelson as Underwood, and Bob Sweeney as the bailiff. Hollywood Soundstage brings you Act Two of Call Northside 777. They say that a convert always prays the loudest. And once I'd switched over to Frank Bichek's side, I guess you could have heard me all over town. It wasn't just a story anymore. I was digging for a man's life. I started with a bailiff, the one that Frank had told me about. Aye, tis the truth, Mr. McNeil. Judge Morton did promise the lad a new trial. Me hand to the saints. I was there and heard him. Uh, remember the details, Mr. Sullivan? Mr. McNeil. I'll have you understand, I am the fellow that reminds the elephants. <laughs> now, you see, the way it happened, as he came out in the trial, this officer Bundy was having a snort, a little speakeasy run by this, uh, this woman... Uh, Fender Skutnik. The very same. The very same indeed. And whilst he was warming himself, it being a cold day, these two yeggs come in and, and they let him have it. But now... There was another fella sitting there having a drink. I know, a truck driver, name of Gruska. Correct. Hmm? And when the trial was done, the judge, God rest his soul, had them all brought into his chambers. That's when this Gruska fella speaks up and tells the judge that Wechek wasn't one of the killers. What did Fender Scudnick say? Oh, oh, she stands pat. Claims she saw the shooting from start to finish. But then, this Gruska gets mad and says she never saw any part of it. When the fireworks started, she ducked into a closet. Well, why didn't he say that on the witness stand? Huh. Well, now, I guess he never had the chance. All they let him say was yes and no. The next man on my list was a little harder to find. But four days later, I dug him out. In a greasy little restaurant, washing dishes... And not exactly happy to see me. Yeah, my name's Underwood. I was Vichek's lawyer. But I didn't care what happened to him then, and I don't care now. Look. Why should I? I'm a disbarred shyster. I'm a drunk and a fool and a crook. My testimony's no good. My word's no good. My life's no good. I'm no good to anybody. Anybody but Frank Vichek. You mean you... You want the advice of a dishwasher? <laughs> My wife washes dishes every night. All right. I'll tell you something. Only one thing convicted Bichek, and that was the testimony of Fender Skutnik. That's not new. She said that after the murder, she didn't see Bichek again until she identified him in a police lineup. But the day before that, she was in a squad car with him. She was with him the day before she identified him? Yeah, when they were riding Bichek around the horn from station to station, so I couldn't find him. He and Fender Skutnik sat side by side. Well, why didn't you use that information at the trial? Yeah, I couldn't prove it. Well, I'm going to find that Skutnik game. I'll prove it, all right. I'll give you some advice, McNeil. Good advice. Not shyster talk. Discredit her. Prove she's a liar. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. 
All I had to do now was find Fender Skutnik. Except that she didn't want to be found. And Chicago's a pretty fair-sized village. But I wasn't exactly wasting my time. Checking the police files, I found that Frank had been arrested on December 22nd, but he hadn't been booked until the 23rd. The police had held him for 24 hours. He could have been with the Skutnik dame. I said to myself, if I could only prove it. And then suddenly I got the big idea, and I raced for the nearest telephone. City desk, Kelly. Listen, Kelly, how about that beat check you're on? I know it wasn't important back in 1932, but maybe somebody took some pictures. Uh, sure, you want to get one autographed? Don't clown, I'm in a hurry. Check our files and have somebody check the other papers, too. But, Mac, you've read every word that was printed on the case. You've seen every picture. Look, a photographer shoots maybe ten pictures and only prints one. I want to see the other nine. Have it your way. Say, Kelly, the Herald Examiner was still in business then, wasn't it? Yeah, you want that check, too? No, no, thanks. I'll check that one myself. Oh, Kelly. Hello, Mac. What have you got? What have I got? Just a pardon for Frank Vichek. That's all. Here. Take a look at this picture, will you? Hmm. A shot of Vichek getting out of a squad car. And Fender Skutnik right beside him. That proves she was lying, doesn't it? That'll invalidate everything she said. Well, how do you figure? She testified she didn't see Vichek between the time of the murder and the time she identified him on December 23rd. But Frank claimed she saw him on the 22nd, when the cops were taking him from station to station. And you think that's when this picture was snapped? Well, obviously. Look, Mac, when you come up before the pardon board, you can't just say obviously. You've got to have proof. And this picture could have been taken after she identified him. But it wasn't. Well, you think it wasn't, and I think it wasn't. But the board will just sit there and ask for facts. You know, that could be pretty rough on Vichek. If they review his case now and turn him down, it might hurt his chances for parole. I wouldn't want to hurt Frank. I know you wouldn't. You've done a great job, Mac. Nobody could have done any better. Sure. The operation was successful, but the patient died. Uh, personally, I'd go along with you, but the front office is getting a little worried. These cracks we've taken at the police department and the state's attorney. Okay. What do we do? Uh, write a finished story. Get the paper off the hook. All right. Then you'd better go out and see Vichek's mother. I can't. I can't do that. You wanted to read it in the paper? Or do you, Mac? No. Oh, I'll go. Toughest assignment I've ever had. To have to tell Frank's mother we were pulling out. To have to tell her she was on her own again. I sat there in the cab and I kept staring at that picture of Frank and Finder Skutnik. Staring at it. Looking for something. Like when you get a letter that's got bad news and you read it over and over and over again, hoping maybe you've read it wrong. I guess I hardly heard the cab drive at first. Seen the afternoon paper, bud? Hmm? I said, have you seen the afternoon paper? Oh, the paper now. Yeah, the cops pulled a nifty one, all right. They proved some guy was a forgerer. First time I used that new machine. Machine? Yeah, you know that machine, the largest things a thousand times? They can take a piece of writing, or like a picture, anything, see? A, a thousand and, times? Yeah, a thousand times. It brings it out clear as a bell. Hey, Cabby, I, you know where the police lab is? Police lab? Yeah, sure, it's uh, down there, a few blocks. Oh, don't talk, drive. Now, wait a minute. Pull up to that drugstore, will you? I've got to make a phone call first. 
I dropped everything, Mac. Rushed right down. What's it all about? We still got a chance, Kelly. If you know how to pray. If we get a break... Well, pray for what? Slow down. Give me an angle, will you? They've got a new process. Just perfected. Enlarges pictures a thousand times. I've got them working on that picture right now. The one that Frank Vichek and Fed to Skutnik? Yeah, but they're not working on them. Over on one side, there was a kid in the picture. A newsboy with some papers under his arm. That's the part they're working on. Kelly, if I'm right... If they can bring that out. Almost ready, Mac. Want to come in? Try and stop us. Don't light any matches or anything. Have to develop these prints in the dark. Just going into the soup now. Kelly, remember what I said about praying? I still don't know what you're looking for. The date. The date on the newspapers under that newsboy's arm. Can they bring that out? Coming up now. Watch it, Kelly. Watch the date. Hey, there it is. Coming through, I think. The December... December 20... 20-something. December 22nd, 1932. As that cab driver said, it was clear as a bell. Clear enough even for the pardon board. I guess I should be pretty happy, but there's just one thing. There were two men convicted for Officer Bundy's murder. Two men convicted on the same evidence. One of them, Frank Vichek, has been pardoned now. The other one is still in jail. You know, I've been sort of wondering about that. Looks like I'll have to go to work again. Just heard the Hollywood soundstage production of the 20th Century Fox dramatic hit called Northside 777. And now, back on stage for a final round of applause. Here are the stars of our play tonight, Thomas Gomez and Dana Andrews. Thank you, thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed the show tonight as much as we enjoyed being here. As you know, this program helps support the Motion Picture Relief Fund. And there isn't an actor in Hollywood who isn't proud to share in that great work. Am I right, Tommy? Absolutely, Dana. All Hollywood is combining to make this half hour the dramatic highlight of the radio week. And doing a pretty good job, I'd say. Wait till our audience hears about next week's show. Why wait? Hugh Douglas is right here and all set to tell them. Then why should we hold up the parade? Come on, let's beat it. Good night, everybody, and thanks. Thanks again. Good night. Next week, Hollywood Soundstage brings you a rare treat to start the new year on a high dramatic note. A tender and deeply moving story that will captivate you from start to finish. A story filled with rich moods and poignant scenes. A story that builds to a shocking and unexpected climax. It's Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's great motion picture hit, The Secret Heart. And it will star two of your favorite players, Claudette Colbert and Barry Sullivan. Remember, at the same time next Thursday night, Barry Sullivan and Claudette Colbert in The Secret Heart. Be sure to listen.
Our story tonight was presented through the kindness of 20th Century Fox Studios, whose current release is Decision Before Dawn, starring Richard Basehart and Gary Merrill. Dana Andrews appears through the courtesy of Samuel Goldwyn and is currently starring in the Goldwyn film production, I Want You. Thomas Gomez can now be seen starring in the Columbia picture, Harlem Globetrotters. Hollywood soundstage was transcribed in the film Capital. Our play tonight was adapted and directed by Harry Cronman. Saturday night is your night to ride with Bill Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy. Be listening next Saturday evening when Hoppy treats you to another roping, riding adventure, western style, over most of these same CBS radio stations. This is Hugh Douglas speaking. And remember, it's two hours of music, the nation's favorite songs every Friday night on the CBS radio network. Welcome back. Well, I think Mr. Andrews did a good job. I would still take Jimmy Stewart every day of the week over him, but he put in a solid performance. Call Northside 777 is such a phenomenal story. It's disappointing that it was never adapted for a one-hour episode of the Luxler Radio Theater or Screen Director's Playhouse or uh, screen the old theater when they were doing one-hour episodes. However, I think this half-hour version does a good job at establishing the basics of the story. And I always hope with these half-hour episodes that they might get some folks interested in checking out the full movie. Certainly, I've sought out movies where... I've only seen the half-hour adaptation, but the adaptation just made the film seem so intriguing and so worth watching that I just had to uh, see it for myself. This is a good story because it's not only a solid detective story, it's also got some really interesting dramatic beats. I think Mac goes on a journey in this story. He starts out as really a bit of a cynic who is willing, if not enthusiastic, about using Frank and his family to sell papers and improve circulation to really caring and trying to help and do the right thing and find the truth. And in dealing with the responsibility that comes with the power of the press. Films like called Northside 777 also should temper some nostalgia for a mythical halcyon bygone days of journalism. While listening to 
Kelly's eagerness to get reader interest to increase circulation, I couldn't help but think of modern publications who will do some dodgy things for clicks and views. And historically, I think that there is a, a bit of reality to the way that this is portrayed. Newspapers were, at first, a very cutthroat uh, business with a lot of competition. You had multiple editions published throughout the day, and not every paper survived. What happened with newspapers was the coming of other forms of media, radio and then television, leading to a decline in their uh, popularity and calling the field quite a bit. And I think that the broad taste of the American people began to favor a more responsible-seeming approach to journalism rather than the sort of sensationalism that was so prevalent through the early decades of the 20th century. Of course, in recent decades, the news business has undergone even more changes and kind of resembles much more the sort of situation that you could recognize in this episode or even a decade or so earlier. So perhaps it's a cyclical thing, but I think the way that our modern media tends to work makes this resonate a bit more for me. This is a story where you could easily change some of the details and write it as a completely fictional story, and the basic plot would stand up perfectly today. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Randy, Patreon supporter since June of 2020. Currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Randy. And that will actually be all for today. If you want to be sure to never miss an episode, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. We'll be back next Sunday with another listener support special. But join us back here tomorrow for Sam Spade, where... Who's there? Uh, Mr. Spade. Yes, a moment. Oh, uh, uh, pardon me. <laughs> Come on in, Mrs. Spade. Uh, whatever you say. Sit over here, won't you, please? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll just bring this... Oh, don't uh... bother with the chair. I'll make room here. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Here. Now. Isn't that nice? Uh, yeah. Oh, don't worry about George. He's on a gray line, too. I won't be back for hours. George? Yes, poor dear. He's my husband. Oh, well, uh, well, Mrs. Overjoy. George, I... sweet. Call me George. I feel that since you're a detective, you'll know my secret sooner or later. So why hide anything? Well, what, what are these? Feathers? <laughs> sort of. Now, listen, Sam. To begin with, my husband must never know. Yes, well, uh... Oh, all right. About the jewels. Oh. You see, he gave me the money for a floater policy on the necklace. And I was naughty. You were. I thank it in a wild mood. Sam, are you listening? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure, uh, yeah, you uh, sank somebody's mink. Uh, tell me, uh, what did you want to do with the mink? No, thanks. I thank the floater. 
So now it isn't insured, and it's gone. Ran away. Not the mink, Sam. The necklace. What shall I do? Uh, you. It's worth $30,000. Please. But uh, what about your husband? He'll be awfully angry. He's an absolute bog on insurance. And he'd be very upset if he knew I was not fully covered. Uh, what time did you say that gray line bus gets back? I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.